What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Instant Replay Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dominic Shirosky, and we got a good show lined up for you guys today. Episode 80, episode 80, and we've got a lot of stuff in the NFL to talk about, actually. Big news in the NFL, um, a move that was pretty much expected um was expected however uh now that it's finally gone through and we have all of the details we can really start to talk about it and that of course is the trade of Carson Wentz Carson Wentz has officially after maybe about a week and a half two weeks of hearing you know, that he was on the trade block and hearing that there were some suitors, excuse me, that there were some suitors for Carson Wentz. Um, we finally got the news broken. Carson Wentz has been traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Um, they traded him for a third rounder and a conditional second rounder, I believe. Um, and there's so there's a lot to unpack here, right? So first things first, obviously you have the actual trade of Carson Wentz going to Indianapolis, Philly only getting two picks back for him, neither of which were first round picks. Um you know, the Carson Wentz is someone that they traded up in the draft to select a couple of years ago. I believe they actually traded like five picks to get to him. Um Things of that nature. So, like, obviously, for Philly, you probably aren't walking away from this. Like, if you're Philly right now, you're not happy about your current situation. And you shouldn't be. Um, it was announced that the league, the cap salary, the minimum would be $180 million. So, we can assume that there will be more on top of that. But at the very least, teams are going to have $180 million to spend on players this upcoming season. About $33 million of whatever the cap salary is going to be next year, but about $33 million of it, the Philadelphia Eagles are still going to be having to pay Carson Wentz in dead cap space uh, due to this trade and due to his contract. So they're going to be paying Carson Wentz $33 million, even though he's going to be playing in Indianapolis. Um, it's it's a rough situation for Philly, right? Um you gave up so much to get Carson Wentz, and you only get two draft picks back. Excuse me, don't know why I'm yawning so much, but <laughs> um, you only get two draft picks back for Carson Wentz. And, you know, granted, it's kind of, Philly probably absolutely did want more, and I do believe, what I will say is this. I do believe that the Chicago Bears were in on the Carson Wentz trade, and that the Chicago Bears probably would have given a bigger package like I feel like the 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 Eagles could have gotten a first round pick out of Chicago I think the thing that held this up was Chicago became a little timid about the fact that we've seen how Carson Wentz will act if he's not in a situation that makes him happy and we don't know if we can if we have the structure right now to ensure that he will be happy here in Chicago um and I think that kind of made Chicago a little timid and didn't want to pull the trigger on this trade, which kind of just left the Colts 
um, because those were really the two teams that were really in on Carson Wentz. It seemed like everyone else was either trying to get Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford went to the Rams. Everyone's still trying to figure out what's going to go on with Deshaun Watson. Um, and then you just have some other teams, you know, like they're going to try their stuff in free agency. Marcus Mariota, maybe you got guys like that. Um, or they'll just stick to maybe drafting someone uh, in April. So there wasn't a huge market for Carson Wentz. And because there wasn't a huge market and because his trade value was at an all time low, he just came off of the worst year of his career. Um, if you're Philly, you're not exactly happy about having to trade him having to pay him to not be on your roster and then only getting back not even half of what you gave up to get him, right? Like you gave up like five picks to get him uh, back all those years ago, I believe in 2013. No, 16. Whenever he was drafted. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, yeah, so Philly, like I said, Philly, you're not in a great spot. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit more about Philly in a minute because we're going to talk about their quarterback situation and what this means for Jalen Hurts and what the Eagles might do moving forward. But let's talk about the Colts. So you have the Colts and for the Indianapolis Colts right now, you have to feel amazing. And here's why. So obviously you kind of feel like you gave up so little to get Carson Wentz. And if you can rehabilitate him, if you can rejuvenate him and get him back to where he was three years ago, you have your quarterback of the future, which is something that they've really struggled to have ever since Peyton Manning left. Yes, they drafted Andrew Luck. However, they couldn't protect Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck obviously retires after only eight seasons. Um, and then you kind of try it with Jacoby Brissett. That doesn't work out. They had Brian Hoyer in there for a little bit. That clearly didn't work out. They had Philip Rivers come in for a year. He retires. So they haven't had a steady quarterback situation really since Peyton Manning retired. So now you have Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is under contract. This is a situation where you assume he's going to want to be in Indianapolis. Um, I'm pretty sure the Colts were his preferred destination. Uh, for a bunch of reasons, mainly Frank Reich. Now, Frank Reich is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts now. Um, they went out, and he was the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles back when Carson Wentz was having all of his success when he was looking like an MVP before he got injured, and then obviously that team did go on to win a Super Bowl. But um, he has Frank Reich there, right? But more importantly than anything for Carson is this Colts team is one of the best rosters from top to bottom in the NFL. Like they are solid and strong and have depth at damn near every position on every side of the ball. They're good on special teams. They have a phenomenal defense. They have a really good offense, um, which are really all things that he did not have in Philadelphia. You know, like everyone... Everyone talks about how like Carson Wentz had one of the worst seasons ever last year. And I feel like it's so unfair to put all of that on Carson. And I think I am someone, I don't think I'm one of those people who's a Carson Wentz uh, apologist. You know, like I don't think I'm too far 
on the high end for Carson Wentz, but I'm also not one of the people which seems to be the majority who are just absolutely killing him and like Carson Wentz stinks, he's broken, he sucks as a quarterback now. I think you can't properly assess Carson Wentz because of the situation that he's been put through the past two years. Let me explain. Carson Wentz, three, four years ago, looked like an MVP. Why? He had a good offensive line in front of him. He had an offensive line that was one of the maybe the five best offensive lines in the league. And he had a good defense. That was really all that Philadelphia Eagles team was. They didn't have a bunch of studs. They didn't have a bunch of playmakers or stars at the skill positions. They had a good offensive line and a good defense. And Carson Wentz took that team to be 13-3 and that year. Now, over the last two years, obviously, the Philadelphia Eagles, they won a Super Bowl, but that team is aged. You know, the Eagles held on to some of those guys from that Super Bowl run longer than they should have. Um, and then you just started getting hit with a ton of injuries, um, a ton of injuries. And then, quite honestly, this team hasn't drafted well the last two years. So what once was a good situation very quickly turned into a situation that was terrible. I mean... Everyone's like, oh, Carson Wentz was terrible this year. But again, the context is important. Last year, he went through a very similar situation, and he literally dragged that team to the playoffs. Like, that team would not have made it to the playoffs without Carson Wentz last year. Last year, with all of the pieces that he had that were banged up, everyone being out, him throwing to guys that were former quarterbacks in college, throwing to his practice squad wide receivers, basically, um, dragged the Philadelphia Eagles to a playoffs, to a playoff spot. All right, drag them to the playoffs. Now, obviously they lost, but still it was impressive to me. This year, I was thinking, okay, this team will be healthy. Hopefully they draft well, and then we'll see what Carson Wentz really has. Um, and everything kind of fell apart very quickly. You know, now granted, a lot of this is on Carson Wentz as well, right? Like Carson Wentz did not play well this year. He made a lot of bad decisions. Um, it seemed like he kind of got a little trigger happy or got a little hot feet at times and would pull the ball down, would tuck the ball down and try and run or escape when he didn't have to and would probably get himself into some bad situations, threw some bad balls because obviously he was trying to force things sometimes. But like I said, you have to take everything into consideration, right? Was, a, was, was everything on Carson this year? No, not at all. However, he does have to he does hold some of the blame, but to me he was not he was not the one that should have received the majority of the blame. I think you have to look at circumstance. Let's look at circumstance. Carson Wentz this year had to play with an offensive line that only had one starter stay healthy the entire year. His offensive line outside of one starter everyone got injured. He also had two of his backup tackles get injured. So what? That's six, seven guys that were injured that he had to work work around. And that's like I said, that's your offensive line. Those are your most important guys to a quarterback because they're the ones that protect him the most. So he was always constantly under duress because that offensive line was just decimated with injuries. Obviously, Tory Smith retired. Tory Smith retired from that Super Bowl run, so Tory Smith was gone. Deshaun Jackson can never stay healthy anymore. He needs to go ahead and just shut it down and retire. 
Alshon Jeffrey can never stay healthy. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who was a second-round pick for them a couple of years ago, he has been a total bust. He has not done anything of worth in the NFL. You had Travis Fulgham for a couple of weeks who played decent, played pretty well, looked like he might be a weapon, but then teams, you know, defenses adjusted, and then he got completely taken out of the game. Also, in the running game, you have two decent running backs, right? You have Miles Sanders and you have Boston Scott. I like both of those running backs a lot. However, the truth of the matter is neither one of them are starting running backs in the NFL. Neither one of them are. Both of them are very good rotational complementary pieces. If you have a stud at running back and you have those guys behind him, you're going to be set and you're going to have a great running game. However, if you are leaning on Boston Scott and Miles Sanders to be your bell cow or to be your uh, consistent run game, you're not going to have a good one. And the Philadelphia Eagles did not have a good one this year. Also, that's affected because of the offensive line as well, because like I said, they had about five or six different offensive linemen playing this year. So, or get injured this year. So all of that, right? I mean, the, the, the two best receivers that have been on this team for the Philadelphia Eagles these last two years has been the tight ends. That's Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. And that's usually not a recipe for success. Like if you're, if your two best receiving options are your tight ends, you're probably not going to be a good offense. So you take into consideration all of that. And then also it's not like this defense played phenomenally either. Like this defense was okay sometimes this defense was mediocre at best so there was a lot of things going around like this Philadelphia Eagles team just wasn't good all around it wasn't just like it wasn't just on Carson Wentz like and I feel like people came in and like everyone was talking about like Jalen Hurts and how like oh well Jalen Hurts came in and jump-started this offense and all that other good stuff it's like okay yeah Jalen Hurts played in four games this year how many of those games did he win one of them. Jalen Hurts also only completed like 52% of his passes. So it's very clear, like Jalen Hurts, did Did Jalen Hurts come in and give an infusion, like a little bit more energy and juice to the offense? Absolutely. But it's not like Jalen Hurts came in and lit it up and just made it look like, oh, this team is great. Carson Wentz is what's holding them back. It's no, it's very clear. This team has a lot of holes to fill in a lot of different areas. So when I look at everything, I look at that and I think, okay, Carson Wentz needs a new scenery. And now he's going to go to the Indianapolis Colts, right? And the Indianapolis Colts, you just heard me rattle out all of the problems that the Philadelphia Eagles had. The Indianapolis Colts don't have that at all, right? You have a head coach. By the way, we didn't even mention the head coaching situation with the Philadelphia Eagles and how Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz kind of fell out of love with each other. And they kind of like, like obviously the reports were that the relationship between Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz was fractured beyond repair. Right. Also, Carson Wentz wasn't feeling comfortable for the fact that, you know, Jalen Hurts was kind of hovering over his shoulder and he didn't really have the job security that I feel like he would have liked to have had. Now, part of that you kind of have to deal with because that comes with being in the NFL. You're all, you should always expect to be pushed and you should always expect there to be someone who's going to push you or there's like, you can never sit back and I don't think any player should ever sit back and say, my job is safe. Every player should have the mentality. Now, granted, not everyone does because when you're a special talent, typically you are pretty safe, but every player should come in with the aspect and the mindset that I can get cut tomorrow. They can replace me 
tomorrow, right? And I won't know about it until I see it on Twitter two days from now. <laughs> um, but there was just so much wrong in Philly. And granted, like I said, Carson Wentz was a part of the problem. You know, he I think he really lost a lot of confidence. Uh, I think he, I think he just lost a lot of belief in the teammates around him as well as in himself. Um, and I think a little bit of his ego. I think his ego took a hit because he went from being kind of like this, the, un, the, the, the unsung hero that everyone loved in Philadelphia to, hey, yeah, this guy kind of stinks. Get him out of here. Put the, put the rookie in. Put Hurts in, right? Now he's in Indianapolis. You have, a head, you have a head coach who you love in Frank Reich, a head coach who's a good play caller, and who you have chemistry with, you know the offense, so you shouldn't have any problems adjusting or, like, you know this offense already. So there shouldn't be really any adjustment. Maybe it takes you a couple of weeks just to really get back into the flow of things. But you know this offense. You have a relationship with the with the head coach. So that's fixed. Talked about the offensive line of Philadelphia and how banged up it was and how bad it was. The Indianapolis Colts have one of the best offensive lines in football. We talked about how... The running game in Philly wasn't all that impressive. In Indianapolis, you have a stud in Jonathan Taylor who had a phenomenal rookie year last season. And you also have a really good complimentary piece to Jonathan Taylor. Excuse me, to Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines. You have two really, really good running backs. So you're going to have a running game that's going to be sufficient and is going to be able to take some pressure off of you. On the flip side, you have a great defense with guys, you know, like Darius Leonard, like Malik Hooker. Um, they traded for, oh my goodness, why am I blanking on his name? They traded for one of the defensive linemen from San Francisco, whose name is for whatever reason, blank, I'm blanking on right now, but they traded for him and he was phenomenal. Like they have a great defense. The only real position I think you look at for the Colts where you could say they need a little bit more depth is wide receiver. Cause they have some pretty good tight ends, Jack Doyle, people like that, um, Obviously, T.Y. Hilton is going into free agency this year. He may or may not get re-signed. But they drafted Michael Pittman Jr., who he's a really good, he's a pretty good young piece. I could definitely see them going out and now that they've made this trade, they still have their first round pick. Why not go out and draft another wide receiver? Like go all in on making sure that Carson Wentz is put in the best possible situation to be successful. So yeah, we may Michael Pittman Jr. may be your only number one option right now, and maybe you don't look at him as someone who's a true number one, but you can go out. like there's, This is a pretty good wide receiver draft class. These wide receiver draft classes in the NFL uh, coming out of college have been phenomenal these last couple of years. So you can get a Rashad Bateman or a Terrace Marshall Jr., right? And now you have two guys on the outside that Carson Wentz can trust. And I do think that's a big part of it because I do think Carson Wentz just got to a point where he didn't trust any of his teammates. He didn't trust his offensive line to protect him. He didn't trust his running backs to make plays. He didn't trust his wide receivers to get open. And he kind of felt like he had to play hero ball all of the time. And I think now that he's going to be in a situation where he will look around and trust the guys that are in the locker room with him, he's going to be a much better player. And if we get the Carson Wentz that we saw three or four years ago, Colts very easily could end up being in the Super Bowl. Like that's that's how much talent this roster has. And like I said, if we get the Carson Wentz that we saw um, before he got injured, I mean, 
the last time we saw Carson Wentz before his injuries, he was he looked like a, an MVP. So if we get that version of Carson Wentz in Indianapolis with all of that talent, they're going to be a tough out, and it's going to be tough to beat this team. Um, now, with Carson Wentz being traded, that obviously leaves the question because now the Colts Colts kind of feel like, hey, we're, we, the Colts felt like we're a quarterback away. They got their quarterback now. So the Colts, they feel like they have everything figured out. It's just a matter of um, reinvigorating Carson Wentz's career. Now let's go to Philly. Because with Carson Wentz being traded, Philadelphia has a huge decision to make. Obviously, Philly has the number six overall pick. They do have Jalen Hurts on the roster. Does Philly trust Jalen Hurts to be the starting quarterback? Or do they use this sixth pick and maybe try and trade up? Or do they take that sixth pick and draft someone else? I, it's really tough. And I think, I think that the Eagles should learn from the Carson Wentz deal when they first drafted him. Yes, you're you're picking six, and you kind of look yourself in the face and say, hey, when's the next time we're going to be picking this high in the draft, right? However, there are so many holes that you all need to fill on this roster that I just don't think it's wise to use that high of a pick on a quarterback, especially when, by the way, you're picking at six, and I don't think that they're going to put together a package to try and trade up to like three or four because then you're really going to screw yourself for the future because now you have so many holes to fill in. It's like, yeah, you got one of the top quarterbacks, but you still don't have a team around him. <laughs> like it's going to be the exact same situation that you, that, that it was when Carson Wentz was here. You still don't have a team around him. This team doesn't have a ton of cap space, so it's not like they can go out and make a whole bunch of moves in free agency. So in my opinion, you drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. If you drafted, some, if you draft someone in the second round, you believe they can be a starter in the NFL. Give Jalen Hurts an opportunity. I think now, granted, I did just say that Jalen Hurts didn't put up huge numbers in the four games that they played, and they did lose three of the four games that he played. But I do think that Jalen Hurts, once you start to build the roster around him can be a starting quarterback and can be a good starting quarterback. I think he showed that he gives this he gives this offense a little bit more juice than Carson Wentz did. Um, he adds a little bit of a new dynamic to this offense with his ability to run the ball and run, you know, RPOs and things like that. So I think Philly should sit back and give the keys to Jalen Hurts and build the team around him. You're at six, right? You're picking sixth. In all honesty, I believe three of the first four picks in this draft are going to be quarterbacks. I think I think Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields all are selected in the top four. So if you're Philly, unless you can get inside the top four, unless you can get, you know, maybe you try and talk to Miami and make a trade, but unless you can get into the top four, 
you're not going to get one of the top guys. So three of the top four quarterbacks and yeah, the top three quarterbacks are going to be gone by the time you select at six. So do you really want to draft Trey Lance, who, by the way, went to the same school as Carson Wentz? So there's going to be some parallels, and I'm sure fans are not going to be happy about that. Also, Trey Lance is someone who he's he's a guy who he's going to need some years to progress. He's going to need some years to develop, you know, like he's a project. So if you're not going to get a Zach Wilson or a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields, do you really want to spend the sixth, the sixth overall pick in the draft on Trey Lance, who we all know will not be ready to start come his rookie season? It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me to draft a quarterback. Um, Maybe you trade down. Maybe you don't want to get one of the top guys, or maybe you don't want to spend a pick on one of the top guys. So maybe you trade back. Maybe you try and pick up a Mac Wilson um, or a Kyle Trask later on or something like that. Just like if you all, I wouldn't have a problem with the Eagles maybe in the second round drafting like Kyle Trask because I don't think Kyle Trask will be selected in the first round. But if you're the Eagles and you get, you can get like maybe, like I said, maybe a Kyle Trask in the second round. So that way, Jalen Hurts also has some competition. He has someone to push him. Um, but I just think that there's so many holes on this team that you need to fill. Taking a quarterback that high is setting up whoever your quarterback is going to be. It's setting them up for failure. Build this team around the quarterback. Build this team and then bring someone in. But like I said, I think Jalen Hurts showed enough to get the opportunity to be a starter. I do. Me personally. I believe Jalen Hurts came out and played well enough for this organization to say, okay, look, Carson Wentz is gone. You're the guy. We'll see what you can do. You're at six, right? Like you, I keep going back to this. You're picking sixth. You know what you have an opportunity to get? A wide receiver. One of the best wide receivers in the draft. Hell, you might be able to get the best wide receiver at six. And if not, like Devontae Smith, I believe, and I'm going to I'm gonna do a mock draft soon just for the fun of it. Like it doesn't make sense to do mock drafts this early because there's so many things that still need to happen. Physicals, pro days, there are other trades. that need, Like we still need to figure out um, what's going to happen with the Deshaun Watson saga in Houston and all this other stuff. So like, there's a bunch of things that still need to be worked out and whatnot. And, you know, it, like I said, doesn't make sense at all to do mock drafts this early, but I like to have fun. And for me, mock drafts are a ton of fun. So I will probably do a mock draft soon, but if you're the Eagles, you have a chance to maybe get a Devonte Smith or a Jamar chase or a Jalen Waddle, you know, like guys like that, and I just don't, especially with, like I said, the way you all kind of fumbled the fir- your first round last year, drafting Jalen Rager instead of Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson went on to have the best rookie wide receiver year in Minnesota Vikings history. Like his rookie season was better than Randy Moss's. Like that's what you passed up on to draft Jalen Rager who played in like what, 10 games this year. I think he missed like almost half the season and even in like the 10 or the nine or 10 games that he played, he wasn't all that impressive. Um, I think you have that top pick. You go out there, you get one of the top wide receivers in the draft and you start to build this team up, rebuild your offensive line and give Jalen hurts a real opportunity to be the starter. That's, that's my, that's how I would do it. 
if I was looking at it. However, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, they're going to have to figure some things out. Um, we'll see what they come up with, but it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens with these two teams moving forward. Philly, obviously not in a great spot. Like I said, they're still paying Carson Wentz $33 million this upcoming year in dead cap space. Um, and if you're the Colts, I think if you're a Colts fan, you should be super excited about what you just did. I think if you're a Colts fan, you should be extremely happy with this trade because it's 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 low risk, high reward. If Carson Wentz doesn't work out, fine. We only gave up two picks for him, and neither one of them were first rounders, right? Like we gave up a third and a second round pick for him. Fine with that. And if he works out and he balls out, you all possibly win a Super Bowl. It's like, hey, we gave up a third and a second round pick and got ourselves our franchise quarterback. So if you're a Colts fan, you should be extremely excited about what you're doing, about what this uh, Colts team has put together. Congrats to uh, Chris Ballard and everyone over there in Indianapolis because that, listen, that team, it really sucks that this team kind of got their stuff together like three years too late. Like, had had this roster been around three years earlier, Andrew Luck probably doesn't retire. And all of this would be totally different. But, can't change the past. That's how things go. I have heard some rumors that Andrew Luck may or may not come back from retirement. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Andrew Luck is done. Um, but, yeah. So, whew. Big news, though. That's huge. I can't, I can't wait to see what this Colts team is going to look like next year. And... Philly, tough situation there. It's a really, it's a really rough spot to be in if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, but we'll see if they can turn it around. Um, before we move on to the NBA, though, there is one thing that I want to address, and now the Zach Wilson hype train has to stop at some point. Like, listen, and we're talking about the NFL draft coming up. I said I'm going to do my mock draft soon. Um, that will probably be out sometime this weekend. The Zach Wilson hype train needs to stop. Like, it's gotten out, totally out of control at this point. Now you have some scouts, and of course, they're always nameless scouts. The scouts that, and that's one thing that I do want to point out. Whenever you hear just totally asinine statements like this, and whenever you hear absolute garbage and rubbish like this, it's always some unnamed scout it's an anonymous source it's an nfl scout but they won't say which team or they won't put a name to it because they're too afraid and they're cowards the zach wilson hype has to stop i'm now seeing like that people are talking about oh zach wilson wilson should be the first quarterback taken and maybe trevor lawrence shouldn't be the first guy and maybe zach wilson is the better prospect than trevor lawrence is <sighs> okay and, you know, this happens all the time, come draft time. There's always some person, and it's usually a white guy, usually a white quarterback, who just, I mean, start, the media just starts to love him. I mean, they just start clamoring on and on and on and just kissing the ground that this individual walks on and hype him up so much. Zach Wilson is just this year's darling, right? 
and he is not deserving of it. Like I keep on hearing people say like, oh, he makes these all these insane throws in the off platform and he, you know, the impro and the way he improvises and he's getting and people are saying uh, we see flashes of Patrick Mahomes in him. Let's get something understood. You don't see flashes of Patrick Mahomes in anybody because there is no one that we've ever seen like Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is one of a kind. That is why he's getting paid half a billion dollars from the Kansas City Chiefs over the next 10 years. So stop. Stop with the Patrick Mahomes comparisons, okay? Comparison is the thief of joy. It's one of my favorite quotes. Comparison is the thief of joy. And you keep on comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, you're going to convince yourself that he's Patrick Mahomes, and then you're going to draft him thinking he's going to be Patrick Mahomes, and then when he doesn't work out, you are going to be joyless. Stop. Zach Wilson is the third best quarterback in this draft class. And I want to make that very clear. I don't necessarily think Zach Wilson is going to be a bad quarterback. I see what people mean when they say that he has some really high-end talent. He makes some plays. He makes those wow plays. I get it. I've watched him at BYU. I've seen some of the throws that he's made. He is talented. Absolutely. He's got some good... Yeah, he's got... He's a little bit bigger than Kyler Murray. He's got a... Yeah, he's got a pretty strong arm. Has really good arm talent. Got some speed to him as well. Can move around. I get it. I... Like... I understand he's a good prospect, and I want to make that clear. I'm not hating on Zach Wilson. I'm hating everyone that's pushing him up these ranks and putting him in conversations he does not belong in. The fact of the matter is this. Zach Wilson had one good year. One good year at BYU against a bunch of nobodies. Didn't play a single ranked team all year until he played Coastal Carolina. And what did they do when they played Coastal Carolina? He and the entire team wet the bed and lost. He hasn't played against, like, you know, some people will be like, oh, he's making all these crazy plays and he's doing it without guys that are going to be NFL prospects. He's also doing it against guys that aren't NFL prospects either. Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence have been playing at top-notch football universities in Clemson and Ohio State have been playing against top-notch competition, the likes of Alabama and Michigan, Penn State, Florida, Auburn, like, play, hell, playing each other. They These guys are battle-tested, and also they've done this for multiple years now, Right? Trevor Lawrence has won a national title. Justin Fields never won a national title, but he's made it to the college football playoffs. And hell, on this year, Justin Fields went out there and outplayed Trevor Lawrence in the in uh, the college playoffs. So these guys are battle-tested. They've gone up against multiple guys who went on to play in the NFL. I mean, their talent speaks for itself. I just don't think that Zach Wilson, who had one good year at BYU against a bunch of nobodies, jumps the line and is immediately better than Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Like, everyone keeps on talking about what he did this year. Okay, well, let's look at the entire package and let's see what he did two years prior. Only threw for like 11 touchdowns and had like nine interceptions. So, what is he? Like I said, this this feels this feels so much... Like, 
how everyone and all the NFL GMs and scouts hyped up Mitchell Trubisky over Deshaun Watson. Mitchell Trubisky went out there and played against a bunch of nobodies in UNC and put up some nice numbers in like 11 games. And people were just like, oh, Mitchell is it. He's the next big thing. And Deshaun Watson was getting left to the wayside for whatever reason. And we've seen how that has played out. Mitchell Trubisky probably won't even be a starter next year, whereas Deshaun Watson is going to have like 25 teams calling up Houston to see, hey, what does it take to get Deshaun Watson? So let's stop with the Zach Wilson hype train. That's all. That's it. That's all I want to say. Is he a cool, is he a good looking prospect? Yes, I get the intrigue. I get why you all look at him and put him, you know, I guess I think he, I think he is one of the top quarterback prospects in this draft class. I do. He's just nowhere near Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence though. Point blank period. He's not. So please let's stop. Okay. He's in that Trey Lance, like he's, it's, it's Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, right? Those two are in their own air. Zach Wilson, maybe he's a little bit higher than some of these guys, but Zach Wilson is in that Trey Lance, Mac Wilson area of prospect, in my opinion. Um, but we're going to see what, what happens. Like I said, my mock draft comes out. Uh, I will tell you all right now, I do have the New York Jets uh, taking Zach Wilson second overall, so we'll see what happens. I don't think that's what they should do. If they, I feel like if they're taking a quarterback at two, the Jets should take Justin Fields. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, like, let's just, let's just calm down on Zach Wilson. Okay, please, please let's properly assess these guys and let's look at their total package instead of putting on our blinders and only focusing on what they did in this one season against a bunch of nobodies in a season that was shortened and where a bunch of teams didn't have any off season or any real spring training or anything like that because of COVID hell also like this team ran away from competition, by the way, like BYU put out this whole diatribe on Twitter talking about, Oh, we'll play anybody. We'll go anywhere, anytime and all this other stuff, any conference, rah, 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 rah. And then Washington hit them up and was like, Hey, you guys want to play? And they ducked the smoke immediately. So, like, I, I just can't I can't put Zach Wilson ahead of Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields after I've seen the things that Lawrence and Fields have done at top tier from um, organizations for two years now. Right. <laughs> like, that's the thing, too, is like it's there's consistency there. They've shown they can do this multiple years. So. Anywho, that's me um, moving on to the NBA couple of games were played last night. The big one that I want to talk about, obviously, is the Brooklyn Nets versus the Los Angeles Lakers. And this might have been the best defensive game I've seen the Nets play all season. Held the Lakers to 98 points, went on to win the game. I believe the final score was like 109 to 98. Did it without Kevin Durant. Obviously, the Lakers were without Anthony Davis as well. But this is probably the best defensive game I've seen the Nets play all year and definitely since they um, traded for James Harden. And, you know, right now they're on a five-game win streak. And earlier this week I talked about how I don't look at the Brooklyn Nets as a championship contender because of their defensive woes. However, I started looking at some things a little bit closer, and I started just looking at their record 
And the Brooklyn Nets are a very interesting squad. And I actually am going to walk back my statement about them not being a championship contender. This team, I think they have a similar problem to, and I know I'm bringing it back to football, but my Pittsburgh Steelers. I think this Brooklyn Nets have a very similar problem to what the Pittsburgh Steelers problem was. For whatever reason, they play down to competition. The Steelers will go out and they will give their best performances against the top teams. You know, like they'll go out there, they'll play the Colts and play the best game of their year of their season. They'll go out and they'll play the Patriots or they'll play the Chiefs or they'll play, you know, the Ravens and they'll look like, okay, no, this is the elite team that we that we know the Steelers to be. But then they'll turn around and play a team like the Jaguars or play a team like the Cowboys this year, and they struggle. And it's like, this is a team you all should be blowing out easily. Um, but they play down to competition. And that is something that, that the Brooklyn Nets have done this year. They played down to competition. But I don't think that's going to be a problem come playoff time. I don't think that'll be a problem come playoff time. And this team gets up for top-notch teams. When they have to go up against other good teams, they show up and show out. I mean, in they've played 11 games this year where they've where their opponent has been has had a 500 or better record or has had a record above 500. They are 10 and 1 in those games. When they go up against other elites, they play their best basketball, and that is huge for a team, especially going into the playoffs when every team is going to be really good. Um, I have to walk my statement back. And granted, you know, like, it it, it was an in-the-moment kind of thing. I wasn't saying I was I, – I even kind of qualified it then and said, you know, f- as of right now, um, I don't believe they are a championship contender. But – from what I saw out of them last night, like I said, without Kevin Durant, who is one of the better defenders on this team, to hold the Lakers the way they did, holding the Lakers under 100 points, securing their fifth straight win, um, Brooklyn is legit. Brooklyn is legit. And like I said, they get up for the big teams. And I think that means that when Come playoff time, we're going to see this team play some of the best basketball they've played all season, and I cannot wait for it. Um, truly, like I really, I really, really am excited for what we are going to get out of Brooklyn moving forward. Um, you also had the Toronto Raptors and the Milwaukee Bucks playing the other night. Bucks didn't necessarily get blown out, but the game wasn't all that close um in the end the bucks worry me man i'm gonna be honest with you the bucks and you know like i said like i said earlier this week um i talked about everything the bucks they have the bucks have to prove it to me like we've been kind of giving the bucks this whole um like we've been kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt and have just kind of been saying, Oh, they're the best team in the Eastern conference because Giannis has won back-to-back MVPs and has also won a defensive player of the year award and things like that. But like, like I said before, this Bucks team has failed to make it to like, they have like 
Giannis has never played in a even an Eastern Conference Finals, right? Like for all the talent that he ha- that he has, and for the talent that's on this roster, and for us to kind of just always say that they are the consensus best team in the Eastern Conference, this Bucks team continues to underachieve. So the Bucks worry me right now. They do. I just I gotta see them. They have to prove to me that they are legit. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But Brooklyn's for real. Brooklyn is for real. I I had a momentary lapse. I'm back now. And like I said, 10 and 1 against teams with a record over 500. That's nothing to scoff at. 10 and 1 against teams with a, a record of over 500. This team is legit. They when they get Kevin Durant back, they are some rumors that they might be trying to make a trade for Andre Drummond. Not exactly sure how they're going to make that work because I don't know they're definitely going to have to get some other teams involved because I just don't see how they can get Andre Drummond straight up or what type of trade they'd be able to make because there's they I mean they gave up so much to get James Harden. Um, so I don't know how much depth or what you actually can give up at this point unless you're just going to give up a ton of draft picks to do it. Um, but we will see. Um, moving on from the NBA to the WNBA because this is something that I did miss out because, you know, last week and everything, and I just didn't have an opportunity to talk about it. Um, The WNBA, this free agency period has been phenomenal, man. So the WNBA, it has been, listen, this might be the greatest WNBA free agency I've ever seen. Um, And I'm, obviously, I am a little biased. We're going to get into why I'm super excited about this, but, um, a couple of other moves, um, you know, obviously, one of the big moves, you have the New York Liberty uh, went ahead and, you know, they won the draft lottery, actually had the number one pick for a second year in a row. Obviously, last year, they drafted Sabrina Ionescu. Uh She got injured for the majority of the season. Um, she's going to be coming back next year. Um Asia Durr, who was their 2019 uh, second overall pick, she missed last season as well. So, like, the Liberty are going to get better. Um, but they did have the number one overall uh, pick in the draft this year. However, they actually went ahead and decided, you know what? Instead of going out and drafting another young piece, which, you know... I don't, I also don't necessarily, okay, so let me just go ahead and say what happened. First things first, they went out and traded the number one overall pick for Natasha Howard. And I, I don't think that, because I do like Natasha Howard. Natasha Howard is a damn good player. I just don't know if this was a move the Liberty necessarily had to make um however i think that they are trying to fast track their way to being in contention um i think they're tired of picking at the top of the draft and i think the liberty sat back and said we have two really good young pieces in sabrina inoscu and asia Durr. they're both going to be coming back next year that should make our team much more um competitive you have natasha howard you know you trade for natasha howard um who, you know, obviously they made a very large 
uh, commitment to her financially. She's going to get about a four-year deal, average about $225,000 a year. Um, she's going to be like the veteran on this team. She's also um, at the point. She's going to be, or not at the point. She's going to be their kind of post-presence. Uh, the I will say the pick and roll between Natasha Howard and Sabrina Anascu is going to be electric. Like that's that's going to be great. Also, the Liberty did a really good job of signing uh, Lainey uh, after she had her best season last year. She actually was the WNBA's most improved uh, player. Bet uh, Bet Nija Lainey. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so we'll we'll see. You know, the Liberty made some pretty good moves though. I wasn't super thrilled with the trade for Natasha Howard just because I felt like like I said they're they're kind of tr- it's very clear that they're trying to fast track their way to being competitive and I get it you know that's one of the things that you do when you are fast tracking so I'm not mad at the move I'm not mad at the move at all I don't know if it would have been the move that I would have made but I get it um obviously you have the Las Vegas Aces um basically uh Improving the roster, you know, they basically swapped Kayla McBride for Chelsea Gray uh, in free agency. That's going to be big for them. Liz Cambage is also going to come. Well, it's assumed Liz Cambage will be back um, for the 2021 season, even though she's not officially signed a contract yet. But it's assumed Liz will be back. And then obviously they still have Asia Wilson, who won the... um, MVP last year. So Las Vegas, the Aces are making some pretty good moves. But the big news, the big news. No, I can't talk about the WNBA without talking about my Chicago Sky, right? And the Chicago Sky. Let me tell you all right now. Let me, let me, let me, let me have my moment in the sun here, okay? Let me, let me just soak all of this in. Enjoy it. Breathe. You know what that is? That smell that's in the air? It's called a trophy. The polish, what they use to clean it, that's what I'm sniffing right now. You know why? Because the Chicago Sky will win a championship next year. The 2021 season will be the Chicago Sky season to lose. And here is why. The Chicago Sky added one of the greatest players in WNBA history. Candace Parker is coming home. Coming home. I'm coming home coming home tell the world i'm coming home all of that good stuff man i you all do not know how excited i am for candace parker and i know some of you are saying dom candace parker is going to be 35 in april what is she gonna look like is she gonna be her old self listen man listen i don't care it's still candace parker the the Chicago Sky have not had this caliber of superstar since we traded away Elena Deladon back in 2016. We are now adding Candace Parker to a team that has arguably the greatest 
shooter in WNBA history with Allie Quigley. We are obviously, uh, we have Allie Quigley. We now have Candace Parker. You have Diamond Shields. You have Azura Stevens. You have Ruthie Hebbard. Um, and then, of course, you have the point god herself, Courtney Vandersloot. This team is going to be stacked, and there's a lot of potential with this squad. Candace Parker, I think, also is going to be a very, 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 very good mentor for some of the younger pieces on this team, like Diamond to Shields, like Ruthie Hubbard. Um, I'm super excited, man. I, can, I cannot wait. She's coming home. Obviously, she grew up uh, near Chicago. This is her hometown. I think she's going to be, I think she's going to have a ton of fun playing in Chicago. Um, it gives her an opportunity to come back home. It gives her an opportunity to really re- reinvigorate kind of her love uh, for the city, for the game. And then also, like I said, it gives her an opportunity to win a championship because with this type of squad, there's no reason that the sky should not at the very least be competing for a title. So, tons of moves being made in the WNBA. I'm super excited about it. I'm ready. I, I got my Candace Parker jersey being ordered now. Um, I'm super excited about it, man. So, the WNBA, this up, this upcoming season, the WNBA is going to be really great. For those of you, if you do not watch the WNBA, this upcoming season is the season to do it. Because there's going to be a lot of fun stuff going on. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff going on for the WNBA. Um, it's going to look very different. Some new, you know, new faces in different places and things like that, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And lastly, before we get out of here, I mentioned it on Tuesday, Naomi Osaka versus Serena Williams. Uh, it has come and passed Naomi Osaka, who, uh, is currently ranked number three. Uh, Serena Williams was ranked 10th. Uh, Naomi Osaka did in fact, knock off Serena Williams at the Australian Open in straight sets, uh, 6-3 and then 6-4. And, you know, Serena Williams was very emotional afterwards. You know, one of the reporters was kind of asking her, you know, you said, you know, you were saying farewell to the crowd, but is this really farewell to the crowd? Like, is this your last time at the Australian Open? And, you know, she said she doesn't know. And, you know, you can tell Serena's... I think Serena's starting to realize that, you know, this might be her last go around. She was very emotional um, during that po- during that press conference. But I really think that what we just saw was the passing of the torch. I really believe that. I believe Serena Williams, and that's and there's no shame in that. Serena Williams is 39 years old. I mean, this woman won an open when she was pregnant. Like she is the greatest tennis player of all time, regardless of gender, not the greatest female tennis player. No, she is the greatest tennis player of all time. She is one of the greatest athletes of all time. I mean, she is phenomenal, man. Serena Williams is incredible. Um, but it does feel like we are getting towards the end of an era. Um, and I, I, I really believe that what we saw on Wednesday with the Australian Open um, was the passing of the torch. I believe that that matchup, which they've played before, um, and Naomi Osaka has actually beaten her before, but they've played before, and I... I 
I believe though this was the real this was the real official passing of the torch to me. Like I said, I think Serena knows that her time is coming to an end and she looks at Naomi Osaka and she sees the future of women's tennis and not just women's tennis, tennis in general. I think Naomi Osaka is going to be, I mean, is there a more promising or more popular, um, more loved young name in tennis than Naomi Osaka is right now? I don't think so. And so I think we are looking at, you know, the, the, that, that, that passing. So shouts out to Serena Williams. Absolutely love her. Um, hope we get to see her some more. Uh, she can play as long as she wants, man. I love Serena Williams. Um, and shout out to Naomi Osaka. I'll be pulling for you. She's going to move on to the finals. Can't wait to see what she does. But that is all we have for you all today on this episode of the Instant Replay Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. You all are wonderful. If you liked today's episode, please tell a friend to tell a friend, like it, share it, all of that good stuff. And of course, if you didn't like this episode, just act like it didn't happen. (laughs) Um, And as always, I leave you all with a quote. Kobe Bryant once said, no one hates the good ones. They only hate the great ones. So go out there and make some new haters, guys. I'll see you all Tuesday.